This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Today's guest is Eugene Braxton. Eugene had a near-death experience where he encountered God and otherworldly beings, and today we're going to learn about it. Eugene, welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Jeff. I'm glad to be here. As you know, Eugene, most people like to hear near-death experience stories, so if you don't mind, can we start on the day that yours happened? Yeah. I was 14. We were at a, a summer youth group picnic, and uh, I used to swim just do all kinds of sports, uh, track, basketball, weightlifting, water polo, competitive swimming. And uh, so I really like swimming. In fact, we used to go to uh, the dam during a, a flood and swim in the overflow. Uh, that's how much we could swim. So I jumped into this lake off a dock. And because of a, an ear infection, I... Uh, Instead of diving in, I jumped in and I jumped straight up and came down, came down straight down, but with my feet pointed like a diver. And I got stuck in the muck at the bottom of that lake. Um, I was stuck up to the knee. I struggled. I still, I was still holding my breath. I struggled as much as I could uh, for as long as I could. Uh, almost like a shark uh, that's caught up in a net underwater. I struggled like that. I could not get loose. Uh, then I sucked in. What's, I sucked in trash can gallons full of that lake water. And it just all went in until I was completely filled up and, and, and floating uh, like you see in the movies where the guy's fully full of water. Um, I fell down on my side, and as I fell down, Jeff, I hit the bottom of the lake, and the uh, cold muck of the bottom, the soot of the bottom of the lake came up and covered me like a death blanket. So uh, I was stuck up, up to the knee in the thick, it was like tar, that tar-like muck uh, had fallen down on my side. The breathing had stopped. I could still see. And um, I was still conscious. Uh, I thought that someone would swim down, see me, see that I was missing, swim down and come and get me, but uh, no one ever did. Um, paralysis began to set in. Slowly, but not as fast as an out-of-body paralysis. That's a little bit faster. This came in, uh, the out-of-body paralysis is a little bit uh, imperceptible, harder to see. Uh, but this, you could feel it coming in quickly, uh, coming in steadily. So as the paralysis set in, I could feel each organ in my mid-body, from stomach 
to uh, from belly to neck, starting to go out. Uh, the kidneys, you could feel them. And they went out like candles, like you would blow up candles. And you, could, you knew, too, that it was a kidney. The lungs had already stopped. Uh, and whatever other internal organs uh, that could be stopped besides the heart uh, did stop. So this happened as, as paralysis was setting in, the organs were shutting down one by one. Uh, the vision I could still see, but th- at this time, because of the paralysis, I could only see straight ahead. I could see peripherally, but I couldn't move my eyes to the side. Uh, so when I was on the bottom of my leg, I still peripherally looked up to see if someone was going to come down and get uh, because other uh, athletes from our school had drowned, were, had died there too, in a drowning. And lakes are, actually aren't safe unless you're a really good swimmer and people are looking for you. It's, it's better in a pool. I spent many hours in the pool. But so um, the paralysis set in. The organs were shutting down. I was looking for someone in the peripheral to come down and get me. No one ever did. The heart beats, the heart was still beating, the breathing had stopped, and the eyes were locked straight ahead. So paralysis was about 75% complete. The heart began to, uh, it kept a steady rhythm, but the rhythm slowed down. Uh, At one point, it was every five seconds. Then every 10 seconds, it would beat. And I knew that the heart was weakening too. Um. From that death blanket of muck that had covered me, it had covered me completely. It was cold, too. I was shivering during this whole time, like that internal shivering where you can't even stop. And uh, my teeth may have even been chattering. But uh, the organs slowed slowed down. Paralysis. Okay, so uh, then the heart. Uh, began to beat less frequently until it got to one every 12 seconds. And I was waiting for it literally to stop. Uh, before it did stop, however, and right when I was in the, like the, the apex, the zenith of the, uh, the agony, because uh, there are a lot of different things going through your mind when you're in that position, like anguish, uh, a panicky desperation, remorse, uh, regret, remorse for the things you've done, regret for the things that you should have done or didn't get to do, um, primal fear, because you're literally uh, now uh, struggling for life or death. And uh, every living thing has that instinct in it to stay alive. So you're struggling now for life and death. And it's a grim in, in serious struggle. And um, so at the zenith of the pain and the fear, uh, suddenly uh, all the pain uh, stopped. It was just, just like you were turning off a light switch, it completely cut off. So to the extent where I sighed a sigh of relief and I was bone cold. And I don't like the cold at all. I was bone cold and... Uh, the pain suddenly stopped. I felt sigh of relief. And uh, uh, like a lot of your guests, 
uh, have said to you, I was enveloped in like a, a, a velvety uh, womb, a cocoon, like womb. I was enveloped in like a, a, whatever it was that stopped the pain, also enveloped me. And you, you actually feel protected. But uh, when the pain stopped, uh, the fear stopped too, and you weren't afraid. Uh, I guess you feel that anything that can stop that kind of death pain, uh, whatever else follows, it's it's all right. So uh, the pain was bad. I was shivering, was freezing, couldn't stop shaking, and then it suddenly stopped. And I felt peace. I felt like everything was all right and everything was going to be all right. And that's when the person surrenders and relinquishes that fight. You would think that after the pain stopped, the person might still struggle on. And some might, but uh, even before the uh, pain ceased, and the, because you're fully paralyzed, you can't move, you can't even you can't turn your head. So you don't even have the capacity to get yourself out of that situation. Uh, so the, the relief from the pain was really welcome. And uh, like I said, it made me sigh again, even though I was underwater, full of water. So uh, pain stopped. And I had relinquished all effort to uh, the struggle for life and death was over. I was ready to die. And I knew I was probably going to die. And that uh, I wasn't going to be able to get out of this one. Uh, so the heart is like a, an electromagnetic motor for the body uh, in the physical world and in the spiritual world. And when that finally did stop, everything else went blank. It went blank and it went black. Um, the only thing I could do was later and wait for the beating of the heart to see how slow it would get before it finally stopped. And then at that last beat of the heart, I heard a loud, a loud booming sound, like if someone were to slam a garage. And uh, lights went out, and I heard a wishing sound. And the hearing was the last thing after the heart to go. Uh, it's also one of the first things that are activated uh, when you become a, a person on that psychic path, the hearing. But um, so uh, pain stopped, the heart stopped. And when the heart went out, everything went out too. I heard a loud, a loud booming sound. Um, also, uh, too, uh, during that death process, uh, as the paralysis got uh, uh, crept higher and higher, uh, after the organs were... Uh, did um, along with the slow the diminishing beating of the heart I could feel like a magnetic pull uh, it's, it's the same similar pull when you're dead tired and you want you're trying to stay awake but it's pulling you to sleep it's that same exact death sleep pull I knew it was trying to pull me into an unconsciousness and uh, I tried to stay awake and alive as long as I could and then it suddenly went on. Uh, it was complete blackness. Uh, 
in, in that blackness, uh, this is what they call the dark void. It's a, a soundless, uh, tomb-like, coffin-like uh, space of uh, paralyzed unconsciousness. And it would be similar to like being in a coma, but you maybe you're awake, but in complete darkness, can't move what you can think. And you know that you exist somewhere in that blackness. That, uh, and that was brief. Uh, also in that time, and this was, it was only 15 to 22 seconds. Um, I've had a lot of out-of-bodies in my life, about 12,000 over the years. They started at 6 uh, to 16. Um, so I was really used to out-of-bodies. Um, that was one of the things that Dr. Gracie liked, too. He felt that I might be able to remember more because of those out-of-bodies. Uh, and also very good at dreams and lucid dreams. It was kind of like the initiation steps, with the near-death being the graduation point. And it had all of the childhood paranormal experiences, all of them. <clears throat> um, so we're at death. Death came, and it came quickly. It's funny with death because you, when you die, you never. It always it usually comes as a surprise, unless you're sick and you're a lingering death. But the, that moment of death, because I've almost died uh, several times, not like this, but that moment of death comes when you least expect. Uh, so, uh, the heart stops. The person is in blackness for a while. If they're conscious, they're in like a womb, like, uh, what PMH Atwater calls spiritual dressing room. What's really happening is that, uh, the person's body now completely paralyzed is getting ready for the exiting of the invisible, the invisible. The invisible script. So uh, every night when we go to sleep, our spirit body comes out of the physical and recharges in the electromagnetic uh, energy that's in the air. The Indians call it prana, and the martial artists call it chi. But there's an electron, electromagnetic energy that's in the oxygen itself that we recharge from uh, when we go to sleep in our spirit body form. You may be dreaming while this recharging is taking place, or you may be just uh, knocked out. But uh, it's not so much the sleep. The sleep is primarily to make sure that if, if, if we weren't made, if we weren't made to go to sleep, humans would stay up and they would never recharge. The batteries would just run down. So we have to sleep uh, because during that paralyzation, usually whenever you have an out of body, It'll begin or end with a paralyzation. And that's a signpost and a signal that you're going to have when you fear yourself being paralyzed and can't move. Hmm. Uh, that same paralysis is also in, at the moment of death in out of bodies and in alien abductions, too. Um, <clears throat> so, um, let's see. okay, so the person dies, they're enveloped in that blackness. Approximately 15 to 22 seconds uh, after the moment of death, the person regains consciousness. Uh, approximately 
nine to 13 feet from their bottom, usually around eight to 10. Uh, but they bubble up. And this is involuntary. It happens naturally. The person will automatically, involuntarily, come out of your body. Uh, it comes, you come out of your body when you sleep. You don't even remember it. But uh, a lot of times you can. Especially if you do the breathing exercises, which will uh, extend the continuity of consciousness. And I'll get into that later, too. <clears throat> but so uh, spirit body takes, uh, it can take up to three days, but generally between 15 and 22 seconds. The person regains consciousness within the vicinity of their dead body. And the sight of their dead body reminds them of what had just happened. And they realized, I'm dead, but I'm still alive. I died, but I'm still alive. I didn't really die. The real me is still alive and awake. So uh, I call that, uh, that stage is when you regain. Reg- so let's see. Because I have them down in stages. You have death. Um, you have the dark void. Then you have, um, <clears throat> oh, the uh, reconsciousness after death, where you, uh, regain after death consciousness and you realize that you're awake because uh, you see your dead body and it reminds you, I just got run over. I just had a heart attack. You're still in the position you were when you died. And I could see myself down there with my legs stuck in the mud. And just like uh, some of your other uh, guests have said, you don't, you see it, but it's almost like just like a mannequin. You don't even um, have any emotion to it. Even if you recognize it, it, it's you, because uh, you're disembodied, so you don't see it as yourself. You see you, your own self as yourself, and that's like a almost like a mannequin. That's the regard that you have to. So um, after the person regains uh, consciousness after death, and it takes, like I said, 15 to 22 seconds, unfolds slowly uh, like a lotus flower. Now, when I uh, regained consciousness after my near death, I woke up in um, a life-giving biosphere that was like a gyroscope. In fact, Jeff, it was just like the uh, the machine that Jody Foster got in in contact. And when I saw that, I thought that was interesting because uh, I woke up in a, a, a Deluvian man type of uh, a vehicle, spiritual vehicle. So this uh, sphere that I was in, like a gyroscope, disintegrated as my consciousness uh, began to uh, dawn. And as I awoken in the spiritual world, the sphere began to disintegrate. Also, uh, when I regained consciousness after death, I could see my body materializing inside the sphere. At first, was like a teeming essence, uh, like the fizz of a soft drink. Uh, it was just like that. Um, then it solidified with the teeming still there, but in the silhouette of, a, of my own form. Uh, and if you look at it, you can look at it and you can see it sparkling in between your hand. You can see the outline of your hand but inside you can see uh, uh, the glimmering and the sparkling of the atoms, cosmic, whatever it is. 
but you can see the uh, uh, the inner side of the spiritual body. Um, then it solidifies into your uh, completely invisible, solid person in out-of-body form. Um, so that's really important. But uh, <clears throat> so okay now. So uh, the person regains consciousness after death. Uh, they look around, and the first thing they usually see is their dead body. <clears throat> and that's what I call the realization of time and space. They see their body. They know that they just died. And <clears throat> they're in the time of death. Because in that world, it, it's not like a numerical time. It's like event. Like, uh, like that movie event. Events are like uh, time. Like it, it goes in events. Like I did this, or I was here, or I was there. It's not so much of a numerical time. But uh, the realization of time and space. You realize that you're awake somewhere in out-of-body form. And when you see your dead body, you realize it's time of death. And uh, the space is the uh, afterlife, which would be the in-between heaven and earth is the afterlife. Um, and a lot of things happen there, too. Like, uh, the afterlife is the same domain where dreams occur, UFOs, uh, near deaths, lucid dreams, out of body. They all happen in that same second heaven or dimensional realm. And there might be sub-realms in that, but it's kind of referred to as the second heaven, the first being the first heaven, uh, second heaven being that uh, spiritual zone, and then uh, the third heaven being where God is. So uh, realization of time and space, you realize that you're alive, you realize that you're in the astral world, you're disembodied and invisible in the astral world, but uh, you're super glad that you're alive. And so you begin to explore that world. And uh, it's interesting, too. Uh, another interesting thing is the way that the, like you don't really think in that world. You, uh, you absorb, you interface, you experience, and you do think, but it's not like uh, one, two, three, you know, I put this block on this block and I'll build the block I will. And you, you kind of um, just interact with the moment. And that world is a thought-actuated uh, realm where what you think happens. So the person has to fully control their thoughts and emotions, especially the thoughts. Like if you think that you're in China, you'll suddenly be in China. And a lot of times you're wondering how you got there and why you're there. Um, if you picture yourself in quicksand, like I used to do in dreams, in those realms, you're up in quicksand up to your neck, however you pictured it, until you unthink yourself out of it. So uh, the thinking part like that and the imagination is kind of dimmed down, and you're more experiencing and absorbing uh, this world. So um, <clears throat> realization of time and space reconsciousness after death, uh, once I realized that I was dead, and, but still alive, and I knew I was in the invisible realms, I was, I appeared 
in what we call a life review room. Uh, and like the other guests have said, it's not so much as a room as it is a, a place where you have your memories replayed back to you. And in mine, I was in a, a donut-shaped ring, kind of like the kind that you used to go to in a carnival. You'd stand with your back against the wall and you'd spin around. Mm-hmm. The thing would drop and you'd be stuck to the thing. It's just like, like that, uh, just a little bit bigger. Uh, yeah, maybe about two so twice as big. So anyway, I was levitating in mid-ear. I woke, I woke up. I didn't wake up, but I found myself uh, in the life review room, floating air with my arms outstretched. And a lot of times when you're doing something, just like uh, the realization of time and space where I realized where I was, and then you appear somewhere else, that's a lapse of consciousness. And that's something to be watched for because it's it shows a break in the stream of memory where it's just like a break. And where you don't travel to the life review or take in there, you're just there. And so whenever you just appear at another place, uh, watch that. Uh, and because that's a lack of consciousness, and it suggests that something may have happened in between that unconscious, you know, in between where you were and where you were taken to. So I, I just popped into this life review room, floating in the middle of the life review room with my arms outstretched. And you're floating, but it feels fully natural. And uh, there were three streets, what would be like our, our wall TVs. And uh, one showed me everything I ever thought, everything I ever said, and everything I ever did. And they went like cards, where you could, just like when you shuffle a deck of cards, you can see the individual numbers. And uh, it went around in a circle. Now, as the uh, one section of the life review room went to the right, and another ring, the other uh, there was like a there was like a ring inside of a ring, and they were going counterclockwise. That means something too that we'll talk about later. But so I was in this room. The three uh, screens were showing me everything I did, said, or thought, and just like the others have said too, you can. You feel exactly what you have done. Like one time, in cat, I threw a rock at this kid, and I hit him. Um, he also threw one back at me and hit me too. <laughs> but um, they showed that during the life review, and and you kind of relive it. I could feel myself throwing as a kid, the seven-year-old, and I could feel it hitting him, and it hit me in the same way that it hit him. And I felt exactly like the anger, what he felt. So you feel uh, whatever you see, you feel whatever you've done, said, or thought. Even the private thoughts that you have in your own head are replayed back to you. You know, I'm going to steal that comic book, or I like this girl, or, you know, whatever. So, uh, and it's, and this is a stage that's slightly before the, uh, the judgment stage and it's shown in in a few ways so that you can uh, review your life see what you've done and it's shown before the judgment so you you can know fully well 
uh, what you may be judged on. They're presenting the evidence. You can't escape it because you see yourself and you remember yourself doing it. And uh, it fully permeates you. So you feel bad. Uh, now, I was 14, so I hadn't really done too many bad things. And so uh, uh, I was fairly okay with the, with the life review. Uh, then came the judgment chair. I mean, then came the, uh, the second part of the life review. After I saw every, seen everything I did, said, or thought, I was uh, off to the side. Keep this from shape. was off to the side. And... Uh, A voice asked me, what have you done to help others? Asked me three things. What have you done to help others? What have you done to help yourself? And have you always believed in me? And um, at the same time, slightly away from me, there would be what we would see as a super negotiator or super lawyer. Some people might see Jesus. Some people might see the uh, Muhammad. Uh, but there's a, a imposing cosmic figure uh, exhorting God in your behalf on everything good that you've done. And uh, there's a lot of things in the near-death that... Uh, uh, reduces the person down to tears. Even just remember it. Like when I first started, I've been doing this for about 24 years now. I could hardly talk. I really couldn't talk about it on the air, on the radio, without breaking down. Or because, uh, and, and you'll see why. So, um, all right, so there's a super, there was a, a, a powerful figure, one who would have the, uh, the capacity to address God was uh, exhorting in your behalf that you have done well, that you should be allowed to get into what we call heaven. And I was glad of that. Um, because a lot of times people don't have uh, a protector, um, especially in that kind of situation. And, um, in the near death, the primal fear aspect only came up twice, at the moment of death, and then with this upcoming judgment, which was actually fair and super easy, mm. uh, in, to the point where there actually is no judgment. But so um, there was this uh, secondary figure exhorting in my behalf why I should be allowed to continue on, get into heaven and be passed favorably. Um, and uh, when I said, uh, what have you done to help others? What have you done to help yourself? And have you always believed in me? When I said yes, and he already knew I, I did, uh, I was automatically allowed in, meaning to proceed upward to the heavenly or celestial, the zenith of the, that near death, what we would call heaven. So, uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah, the uh, exerting in my behalf. Then, now this happened uh, at a picnic on a beach. 
so I was uh, the next scene right after the uh, what have you done for me? Have you always believed in me? That's important to him. Uh, although he will not force you to come with him. You have to ask or choose. And I like that about God. It's not a forced thing. Hey, you have to want him. Um, so uh, after that life review, I found myself on a beach. Again, a uh, likely contact scenario in the Jody Foster movie. And uh, I'm standing there, and in the horizon, I see uh, a sun, uh, a rising sun, like you see in the morning time. And um, the sun was orange, and it was right at the horizon. So I looked at that. That was the only thing I could see in the beach. I looked at that, and uh, it began to move, it be- and the color began to change. It went from a yellowish sun to an orange sun. And I could feel uh, the effects of the colors as they came out of this sun sphere. Uh, the sun started moving uh, in the heavens, in the sky, uh, where it would be at noon. It went from a flat position to about uh, uh, 11 o'clock position within 15 seconds. I didn't see it move, but suddenly it was here, here, and then here. And, and even those kind of little uh, slips of consciousness, I don't even like. I don't like to miss anything of any experience. Um, even though in the near death, there are some things that they uh, suppressed. Not as much as the UFO, but uh, uh, it was suppressed. A lot of times it bubbles up later. So the sun sphere uh, was at the horizon. It started rising up, and I watched it. Now, as the sphere climbed in the sky, and I didn't see it move, it was sudden at uh, 6, then 8, then 10 o'clock. And as it rose up in the sky, I rose up in unison with it, not on my own volition. Uh, it was from outside myself. Um, the scientists I work with uh, asked and were concerned about what they called the controller and what I call the controlling agent in charge. Uh, this is a, a being who uh, can uh, access and interact in any dimensional plane he chooses to, uh, uh, always for good or what is right. And, uh, they were concerned about the control aspect of this controller. And during the near death, because I'm always looking for the source or origin of what, the, of what is happening, looking for the control aspect or the origin of the experience. So during the near death, I was also looking for the God or the power behind this whole scenario. And... Um, it was completely nonverbal, too, at, up until this point, besides the telepathy back at the life review. So the sun, sun sphere came into the sky, um, and in the spiritual realms, uh, most of the things in our heavens 
and in the celestial uh, atmosphere are round or circular, like when you think of the planets uh, and that gyroscope thing that I woke up in um, and our, our planet. So, and, and a lot of times a sphere in the out-of-body uh, uh, out form is also a sphere of consciousness where it's not just an illusion or something floating by. It's like a, uh, it's a thing that you can interface with. And so this thing was approaching me and uh, something levitated me up into the sky in unison with it. As he came up, as he came uh, across the sea, I rose up with it. And the color went from yellow on the ground to orange midpoint, and then a bright heart red uh, when it got to its stationary position, which would be about uh, uh, 45 degrees or 10 o'clock, you know, maybe 10, 11 o'clock. So I was still uh, in the air, and it feels fully natural because you can float and fly. All I have to do is think about it, and you move in that direction. So I was floating in the air, arms outstretched, and uh, now the uh, the orange sphere gave out uh, rays of uh, healing, just like an orange the fruit, and it healed me of all physical and spiritual uh, maladies. Um, so you were healed. The second one, this was the forgiveness from the. Um, this was the, I was being forgiven. God forgives you before that final judgment when you're allowed into heaven. Um, so you're cleansed and healed. You're strengthened. And this red thing, just like the heart burst that you see on the, G the G GIS, it was bursting with um, reverberating uh, undulations that uh, uh, coursed through the body. Uh, and the red color was a color of love and also a color of forgiveness and strength. And so with both of those two colors, the effects, the first one is the healing because we're all damaged in some kind of way. The second one is the full forgiveness, God's fullness. And when that when it's when it turned red, I was in the air, and you're because that's the moment where God tells you if you're going to proceed further or not, because that wasn't the end. <laughs> so uh, the red had even stronger effects, and my body was vibrating, and I had a mixture of primal fear, because that was God who could send you to heaven, or some kind of eternal sleep, coma sleep. Uh, on the other hand, when you're in that kind of life or death jam, that's the exact one you want to come. Who better to give you a second chance than God? So the person is filled with a mixture of supreme happiness and uh, uh, respectful, rever reverential fear where you're respecting, like the way you respect an elder or a, a cross. It's not a fear of he's going to do something to you. It's a 
fear, oh my God, God is coming and he's coming to me and he's coming for me. And it's going to be one-on-one. There was no one else around. And um, so uh, the near-death is a mixture of uh, non-verbal symbolism. It's uh, physio-spiritual in nature because it does happen to us physically and it does happen to us spiritually. In fact, the, the things that happen to us spiritually, even if they are illusions, are so strong that not only are they stronger than anything that we'll ever experience here, but they're so strong that the after effects, usually psychic, uh, increase from year to year for the rest of the person's natural life. So there's a never-ending supply. And those are just the after effects. So um, colors have an effect. The colors also have a sound. Um, so this, this sphere of consciousness that began as a sun turned into a sphere of consciousness was fully bright red. And it was fully forgiving over and over like waves. And they were actual waves of uh, ecstasy. Uh, a lot of the guests uh, uh, are looking for that one word. And that is the word because it's uh, it bordered, and ecstasy is a high, uh, high spiritual level. It's in that category with nirvana and bliss. In these two levels, the orange sphere and the red sphere were beginning the beginnings, those secondary s- steps towards the highest uh, height, which would be the white lights or what we would call heaven. So these the, were the initiate, these were the initiatory uh, cleansing and redeeming stages. So the orange one cleanses you off. The red sun sphere of consciousness fully forgives you. For anything you've ever done, anything you probably will ever do, and you're and you're, you're 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 beaming with love, the same type of love that's being given to you. And it's full love, and it's going right through you. You can feel it, uh, like I said, and it's ecstatic. It's almost too ecstatic uh, if you know anything about those realms, because. In those realms, you want to have full control over your emotions because of what you think can easily happen. And um, <clears throat> the person has 360 degrees. But with the uh, spiritual realms and levels, anything that is too over just like a dream, when the dream becomes too dramatic and intense, you wake up. So in the spiritual levels, anything that's too dramatic and uh, that's too emotional, uh, in those levels, oftentimes it's an illusion. But like I said, a spiritual illusion is way stronger than anything we'll ever experience on this earthquake. It's so strong that it leaves after effects just from the illusion uh, that you carry on with you either for the rest of your life, just from what you thought you saw. That's how, So everything in there is alive and, and has... Um, weight and substance to it, even though it's invisible and can change form too. So getting back to the red sphere. So um, overwhelming love, uh, waves of it, uh, to the point of ecstasy that was actually uh, 
anyone in it was actually uh, something to uh, it was very noteworthy and, I'll, and you'll see why later as it comes in but this was God coming in a symbol that I could understand that I knew as God uh, it lifted me up into the air it infused in me the uh, the strengths of those colors, the love, the healing. So the orange healing, the red forgiveness in love. And and then I, you could feel it changing because it goes right through you. It changes your atoms, your molecules, your thinking. And um, and these are initiatory, initi- initiation steps before you get to the white lines. So uh, the red uh, sphere was uh, outstanding and it just permeates you and it washes over you like a tide over and over and you could literally just stand there and uh, but that again that uh, that over using of emotions is not a good thing and over emoting in a spiritual experience is to be frowned on it is not good um Here's a quote that goes along with them. That human beings were created by the creator in such a way that ecstasy is the only dependable mode of conduct slash control for sentient beings. Ecstasy, a high spiritual level, is also associated with that process of transformation between life and death. So, So ecstasy plays a part, and you want to watch anything that has you fully under an emotional control. In fact, the more Spock-like you are, you're like that naturally, but the more Spock-like you are in those uh, realms, the better. Because uh, an illusion can be penetrated uh, with focus and concentration, and we'll get into that later too. But so uh, the red light, the red sphere, the orange sphere before that, life review before that, uh, recon after death before that, then the death. So then we get to the white lights. So uh, I go from being up in the air with the red waves, and they were electromagnetic uh, in nature. Because we're electromagnetic in nature, and so is the planet. It's, it's three quarters water, and then it's magnetic poles on each side. And we're as humans the same thing. Our heart is the electromagnetic center. So uh, it was time for the uh, the white ones. I had been healed uh, with the orange race. I had been loved and forgiven uh, with the red waves, and really well where it's the kind of love that you know from your parents, or that the kind of love that you have for your children. It's the, uh, the love without asking anything back from. And uh, so the white one. So uh, the person will need a spiritual shower of sorts anyway, just to uh, get to that higher spiritual white light. Now, the, uh, the near-death scientists I've worked with say, state that only 10% of people, only one in four remember uh, their near death. And only 10, only one in 10 make it into the white lights. 
I don't know if those stats are entirely accurate, especially when you hear the regular people talk, uh, because uh, no one can they they speak about things that you can only know if you're there. Uh, so uh, the red I'm in front of the red sphere, it forgives me, and uh, and then I'm still in the air, but I'm back at the beach scene. So you have to wonder. Did that happen at the scene of the beach or did it happen in another dimension? Because as soon as the Red Spears stage was over, I was uh, in the same air, same height, again, at the beach. And I could even see the birds. uh, I could hear the birds. I could feel the wind. And and, uh, so I was slightly in physical form and slightly in spiritual form. I I call it a, a cosmic conscious glimpse where I was uh, already in the air and before I was to uh, go further upward into the white lights I was allowed a conscious glimpse of the real surrounding area, the beach where I was just to so you can know that look, this is real and this is spiritual. So I was allowed to see that wow, Lord, there is a difference because I saw the beach Briefly for about five, maybe eight seconds, and then it was back to the lights. And during each stage, no matter what happens, you're fully immersed in it. And a lot of times in those things, you just like let it happen. Um, because there's, and like I said, you know, like I was saying about the other thing, uh, the lack of thought. You have thought in volition, but it's not as you would have it when you're conscious and awake or even in a dream. So that's interesting too. So um, still in the same position, the red uh, sphere stage is done. And I appear above the beach in the approximate same position and it's time for the white lights. Then I feel an elevation uh, upward. And uh, now the, each light has an effect, and the white lights had the strongest, most powerful effects. The white light uh, purifies you, it uh, illuminates you, and it alters you. Whatever, whatever effect it has, it's of an elevating nature. Like you, you're, you're thinking at a higher level. You're your consciousness also explains that it goes from cosmic consciousness where you know things suddenly to universal consciousness where you're in con- where you're in touch with the whole universe all at once and at the same time um, and that's a really interesting thing too like here's the thing uh Twice during the near death, I was allowed, or I was venturing on my own. And I, at one point, I remember just floating down what would be a river of life. And it went on ahead. And on that river, I saw like this brown cloud looking thing. It was just floating, kind of looked like it was gently going uh, where it let itself go. And I could tell that it was sentient, that it had. Uh, uh, it was animated, and uh, 
the color of it was brown. And when I, there's a, also a, a thing that's it, it's involved in a white light where the person merges into things. And uh, you become one with it. Like in real life, uh, after years of meditation and focused concentration, uh, the person develops uh, a merging authority where they merge with the other person, a place or thing. But in uh, spiritual realms, that merging ability is natural. Um, and you can, it's, you can initiate it yourself. i give you a quick example. Uh, I was in a tree once while my son played uh, football with some of his friends. And I was up on a branch and uh, I saw a squirrel in another tree right across from me, about 30 feet. And uh, I always do breathing meditational exercises. Uh, more than the yoga positions, because the breathing will get you up to that level, will keep you in a constant conscious state. Uh, and you want to do breathing exercises for the rest of your life. And in time, I'll explain what those can do. Uh, so uh, I stared at this squirrel, and he stared back at me. I kind of didn't like that. I thought it took a lot of nerve. So I looked right at him to see he would break the focus uh, first. And he looked at me. And then I shot into his body and saw myself from his uh, perspective. And then shot into mine within about one second. I shot in his, saw myself, and then shot back into mine. And uh, so that, that can happen in real life, uh, in an out of body, and uh, in uh, a near death or a spiritual. So this merging quality. So, okay, um, the white light. Uh, the yellow, the orange and red purify, but the white uh, gives you the deepest penetration. It elevates you like the, like, like the others did. Uh, it also fully cleans you, spiritually and physically. This is where some of those people may have been healed. Um, but the white lights give the most, uh, have the most effect and give you the most, the longest after effects. And the after effects are psychic and mental and spiritual. Uh, like I said, where you're in tune with everything. In fact, uh, after that river of life, I, I stopped and I listened because I was, I knew that I was fully connected with the universe and our earth. And I listened to the earth and it had a heartbeat. And the heartbeat matched my own in rhythm and uh, sound. And so I knew that it was one heartbeat. Um, but uh, so those are, are things that uh, there's a connectedness that you get. Also, the word heart and earth uh, both have the same letters. That's an interesting thing. I saw a couple of things. But uh, you really feel it and you know you're attuned to it and you are. We're super connected, all of us, way more than we think. Um, I need to stop you here for a second. You have an amazing story. And I just want to establish for the audience that you had hypnotherapy to help you re remember or recall all these things within your NDE. Is that correct? You didn't just remember that. Did you remember no, I, everything 
right afterwards or you got all this extra information with the use of hypnotherapy? No, I didn't. I don't, I don't like, uh, Dr. J asked me about uh, that and I don't want anyone hypnotizing me or, or going inside my head. Uh, and Betty Hill also warned about it, but, uh, even though she had, but, um, no, no, uh, kind of memory, uh, retrieval except my own. Uh, I remembered most of it because those experiences you really don't forget. Mm. Um, I remembered everything and thought about it. I had a long time, like 20, 25 years to just think about it, calmly reflect on it mm. and, uh, and evaluate it. And, uh, no, I just remembered it. Uh, but the writing of it in the late nineties helped to jar. I remembered about 96% and the writing helped to jar 5% the remaining loose. Okay. It's an amazing because most people don't have such detailed memory of their experiences like you have. Yeah, well, the, uh, the near-death is a spiritual out-of-body. And I had had about 12,000 out-of-bodies, like from age mm-hmm. 6 to 16. I would have from 3 to 6 at night for, for 10 straight years. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, Jeff, at the age of nine, I asked God to show me all of the invisible things in this world and in the invisible world. I told him, if you do, I'll always tell people about you. Mm-hmm. And about two years later, at age 11, uh, the out-of-bodies and, and, and dreams and paralyzations happened. Mm-hmm. I had forgotten about it for a few years, but uh, uh, God did. All right, Eugene, as you may or may not know, my podcasts usually go for about one hour and we've reached that point. And this is probably going to be the first podcast that I've had that I'm going to have to go into a to be continued type of podcast <laughs> because we have a lot more to cover and I have more, I have questions to follow up. So hopefully I'll have you back and we'll get the next one up and we can continue. We can finish what happened to you and then I can follow up with some more questions that I have. Yeah. You'll love this next part, the white light said, mm-hmm. then the, the merging uh, melting is gone. The first coalesces with the life, with the, the life force itself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's yes. I want to put it out there that uh, Eugene does have a book of his NDE. And if you guys don't want to wait, you can always get the book and find out the end of the story beforehand. So on that note, what is the name of your book and where can they get it? Jeff, it's called uh, America's Mystic Solves Near-Death Riddle. America's and Mystic Solves Near-Death Miracle? Uh, near-Death Riddle. I can't, yeah, America- I, I can't hear the last word. Yeah, America's Mystic Solves Near-Death Riddle. Oh, near-death riddle. Yes. Okay, great. And, and can you get that like on Amazon or all the regular book places? Uh, yeah, you could get it on Amazon. Uh, and if you're in the United States, also I have it on my website, uh, which is uh, you can go to Eugene Braxton at Wix.com, W-I-X. Are you a public person? And if so, if someone wants to reach out to you and ask you questions or chat with you about this podcast or anything else, do you do stuff like that? And if so, how would they find you? I'm on uh, the social media, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And uh, yeah, those are the main places. And yeah, I talk to people, especially if they're interested in the uh, the paranormal or about near-death or anything from UFOs. Yeah, I don't mind. And most of the people are really cool. And uh, there's a lot to know. 
and uh, it's super, it's an interesting field to be involved in. You know, whether you're a host or experiencer, it's just because uh, it affects us, you know, uh, every day. All right, Eugene, thank you for being on the podcast. I hope you get a cool evening up there and I wish you the best and I'll see you soon. Thanks, Jeff. All right, take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.